0: Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to mobilize to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. And today we're going to look at holy God, holy fear, and holy love. And we're going to look at three things together. We're going to look at the fact that God is holy and calls us as his people to holiness. And secondly, we're going to look at the fact that God cleans house. And I'm going to suggest that God is currently cleaning house with his people, and thirdly, we respond to God and what he does in love, fear, and repentance. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. And we do not take you lightly. We do not take your presence for granted. We love you, and we love every moment that we get with you. We love that you indwell us through the Holy Spirit and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus knowing that you'll speak to us today. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is God is holy and God calls us to walk or live in holiness. We're going to look at some scriptures in a minute, but I just want to reference a couple of theologians here that I was referencing, people that have influenced me and many of you. There's a Methodist minister named Thomas Oden, and he rediscovered the riches of the early church, and he wrote theology out of that place. And I was reading Thomas Oden on the holiness of God, and Thomas Oden said that to say God is holy speaks of God's incomparably good character. Just like when you would say a person is holy, it means many, many things. It encompasses many things. Another theologian that has influenced many of us, Wayne Grudem, says that to say God is holy means that God is separated from sin and evil, and God is devoted to seeking His honor. So human language struggles to express the holiness of God, doesn't it? And Oftentimes, one of the best responses to God in His holiness is to stand in awe and to celebrate God's holy presence in silence. It's true, isn't it, church? And then there are other times, like we were encountering this morning, where we encounter and better understand God's holiness through Scripture. And so I wanted to look at a few Scriptures that speak to us about the holiness of God and we could talk about this at length, but I just wanted to point out God's holy person and then God's holiness in his works. And then God's holy person, his holiness, requires or calls for holiness from his people. Look at Exodus 15, 11. Get your Bibles ready here. We're gonna be flipping through our Bibles. We love to do this. We get more familiar with where certain books of the Bible are in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Exodus there, the second book in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. We're going to go through these at a rapid pace here, but we're just trying to see from Scripture the holiness of God, the holiness of God's works. And then God's call or requirement of holiness from His people, Exodus fifteen eleven. And this is being declared in the midst of the Exodus event. God bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt, and God's people are declaring this. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor? doing wonders. Look at Isaiah 6-3. We were singing this this morning. It was wonderful, wasn't it? It's fun to sing these classic hymns. Isaiah 6-3, a familiar passage from the call of the prophet Isaiah, and he sees a vision, doesn't he? He sees the Lord seated on the throne and what's stunning about this passage is we learn in John 12, Isaiah is actually seeing the Word, the pre-incarnate, he's seeing the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 6.3 says this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Church, did you know that? He's holy and the earth is full of His glory right now pondering that reality. The earth is filled. His holiness, His glory, His majesty cascades down onto His creation. The earth is filled with His glory. He's giving us more and more discernment. He's giving us the eyes to see that. He's at work. He is glorious. Look at Psalm 77, 12 through 13. Again, these are just little samplings, little tokens that show us the holiness of God's character, His majesty, His glory, His beauty. And when we declare His holiness, we're saying many things, but we're saying you are not like us. That's what holiness is. You are not. You are transcendent. You are beyond as the creator. There's no impurity in you. You're full of glory. You're always right. You're always loving. You're always majestic. Psalm 77 says this about His holy works, verses 12 through 13. The psalmist says this, I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God? So not only is God holy, but everything that God does and says and performs is holy. The way of His doing things is holy and shows us what holiness is. And there's no one that comes even close to His holiness and greatness. Amen, church? Look at Leviticus eleven forty four. 44. God's holy character, God's holy works. There's some promises here that are astounding. Leviticus 11:44, so the third book there in the Old Testament. The whole book of Leviticus is about God's holiness and him instructing and empowering his people to be holy, to be different than all the other nations. And so listen to what the Lord says here through Moses. For I am the Lord your God, sanctify yourselves therefore, and be holy for I am holy. The apostle Peter picks this up. Look at 1 Peter 1, to 16. With that in mind, he's gonna reference this passage and show us as New Covenant people in the New Testament how important that passage is from Leviticus 11, 1 Peter 1, 15-16. Am I giving you enough time to find those places? I know they're up here on screens, on the slides, but I want you to find it in Scripture. Get some practice on getting more and more familiar with these passages. 1 Peter 1, 15-16. And the Apostle Peter, just like the book of Leviticus, is looking at the church in the pagan Greco-Roman empire, and he's saying, God's calling you to be different. Look what he says here. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Friends, the beauty of this, not only is God's character holiness, all of His words are holy and holiness. His call is holiness, but this is a promise. He's saying, I am holy, and therefore you shall be holy. That's great news. The Lord shares His holiness. Unlike some world religions that speak about the transcendence of God, He's out there somewhere, he's remote. This is the vision of God in Islam. He is out there. He's so far removed in his exaltation, he doesn't really have anything to do with involving himself in human nature. The beauty of Christianity is that the holy God has become human in the person of Jesus. And who God is by nature, he empowers us to be like him and share his holiness Through grace. Did you hear that this morning? God is holy, and we should see Him in all of His holiness. His majesty is splendor, it's what we encounter in worship, but the good news in Christ is that He gets involved through the person of Jesus, through His grace, through His mercy, and He empowers us to be holy like He is holy. Unbelievable. A second thing I want us to look at here related to this, look at First Peter 4, 16 through 17. The reality that the holy God who shares His holiness with us, the reality that God is cleaning house, the apostle Peter is talking to the first century Christians. But this is true, a house cleaning started then and continues into our day. God cleans house. Listen to what the Word of God says here, First Peter 4, 16-17, yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear this name, the name of Christ. Look at verse 17 rather sobering, for the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God?" So, what Peter's doing in this chapter and in the whole book, he's explaining to Christians there's two kinds of suffering in the world, and he's saying there's the suffering of Christians God allows this to happen because they bear the name of Christ, and Christians will experience suffering and persecution because they bear the name of Christ. They follow the one who suffered. And this kind of suffering, Peter goes on to explain, purifies His people so that when you suffer as a Christ-bearer, as someone who follows Jesus, a purification happens a purging of things in your life that stand in the way of you and an intimate relationship with God. And so Peter is exhorting the Christians. You can see it in this passage, can't you? He's saying, don't be surprised. Actually embrace it. God's visiting, and it's purifying you. But then he says there's a second kind of suffering in this text here. Those who disobey, those who resist God, Those who resist Jesus and the good news, there's a kind of suffering that is much more severe. Passage like this tells us that God visits, much like He's visiting our nation right now. Can you see the evidence of this? You can see it in our country, you can see it in the Western world. God's presence is visiting and it's blessing for some, and judgment for others. In church, it's important that we have this in our minds. I want us as a church to have a mindset—that's why we're looking at this today—so that we can navigate through times like those we're living in right now. We've got to wake up. We've got to be sober-minded, and we've got to have the wherewithal, the equipment in our minds and our hearts to, to make it through times like we're facing right now. And I want us to prepare ourselves as a people for what may be ahead. Now, the Lord may give us reprieve, but we also might walk through increasingly challenging times. What do you think, church? And so we read scriptures like this and we realize when God visits for us as His beloved people, it means purification. It means loving discipline. We're gonna look at a passage in a minute and the Lord says that He disciplines those He loves. He purifies those that He loves. He doesn't let us get away with the usual because He loves us. Like any good parent brings loving correction. And friends, the Lord is doing that in our lives. And in the church, the American church, A time of judgment and discipline is upon us, and we've got to sit with passages like this and meditate on them because it's truth, and it gives us the way to view the world, gives us a model or a paradigm, a filter through which we view ourselves as we move through the world. Would you agree? And this isn't a new idea. The Apostle Peter is steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. We're not going to look at it, but you can write this down and look at it later. But as Peter was looking at the first century church, the people that he was called the pastor as they're planting churches and making disciples, he's drawing from Ezekiel 9 and Malachi 3, and those are two passages where the Lord speaks about judgment and discipline beginning from the house of God. Let's look at Hebrews 12, reinforces this similar point here. How are you doing? Doing all right? I want you to hear my heart in this, to hear the heart of Scripture. When the Lord visits, it does mean purification. It does mean that you and I may be uncomfortable because God, as we're going to see in this passage, is on the move. But if we learn to embrace him and embrace what he's doing and have some understanding in it, then we're not bucking against him. We're not resisting, but we're saying, ah, oh, Lord, it's, you are doing good things. You are the holy God of the universe. Because of your nature, this is what happens. You visit and purification happens and judgment of sin happens. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. I'm going to read all these verses here see that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For indeed our God is a consuming fire." And this passage here, like the whole book of Hebrews, is comparing and contrasting the limitations of the Old Covenant with the glory and power of the New Covenant. You can catch glimpses of that, can't you, as you See there, you hear then and now, God speaking on earthly Mount Sinai, giving the law to Moses, shaking the mountain. People are terrified. It's a good thing, the law is, but it's limited. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that God has spoken now from heavenly Mount Zion through His Son and that he's given a better covenant through the sinless blood of Christ. He's establishing a kingdom that can't be shaken. But friends, this text here is describing that the one who shed his blood, who's given us a more gracious covenant through himself means greater accountability. Think about that for a moment. And this text is explaining that the people were terrified in the Old Covenant, right? If you read the the whole passage, Exodus 19 and 20, the people are like, Moses, can you keep us away from this holy God because we're terrified? We can't even draw near. And at times, Moses is overwhelmed and terrified. And so the author of Hebrews is wanting us to ponder that. Now he's saying, but in Christ, God has come to us equally holy equally powerful, not just shaking a little mountain, but shaking all of creation through His voice, through His Son, through the death and resurrection of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And this speaks about a shaking that happened with the coming of Christ, with His resurrection, but it also is explaining that ongoing shaking is going to occur through the history of the church. Friends, We are people who live through times of shaking. It's a biblical thing to expect times of shaking to happen in government, in culture, and even in the church. I just want to ask you, what's shaking in your life right now? Think about it. Are things shaking in your life? Are you being shaken and maybe even jolted? Can you discern what God might be doing in your life as the world shakes around you? Maybe your inner world is shaking. And so I want to invite you to think about ways that you can cling to Jesus. He's the unshakable king. What can you do to build your life on Jesus and on his unshakable kingdom? Because, friends, the shaking does not go away. The American gospel is... Trust Jesus, and He makes your life wonderful. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is that you trust Christ while the world is shaking, while empires rise and fall, and you cling to King Jesus, and you build your life on Him, and you make it through the shaking. As a purified person, as a purified people, this is the word of God speaking to us and probably correcting some of our thinking. Are you seeing it, friends? God cleans house, and we embrace it. Do you embrace it? Do you want God to visit us and to bring the fullness of who he is and what he has? Do you? Do you want that in your personal life, or do you want to just stand back and say, Lord, I'll take a little bit of it. Lord, I want you, but just a little bit. If you start getting too close to those things in my life and making me uncomfortable or calling me to repentance and purification, I'm not sure I want to do that. Friends, I don't see it in the book. I don't see that mindset in the book. Scripture says that God is, what's it say at verse 29? He's a consuming fire. That means many things. It means that his heart blazes with love and holiness. He loves us. His love is consuming, but it also means that his love and holiness, when it touches our lives, we're consumed. And the things that please him and honor him and make us more mature, those things stand. The other things get burned away and pruned away. So I just want to make a couple of comments here before we look at the last thing and. This just speaks to our church as shaking happens. I want us to think about being a church clothed in the humility of Christ. And really, this goes against the grain of what we see not only in culture, but church culture. One of our interns said this, Luke Dixon, said this, on Friday when we were gathered together, he said, said it seems like the old wineskin where there were kind of mighty men and women of God that would stand up and have great influence and people would flock to them, that might be passing away. It might be that the Lord is not interested in what's happening from platforms but in living rooms, and that the church is clothed in the humility of Christ— Another thing that I want us to think about here at this local church is that we would be established through the gifts and ministries of teams of people, not just one person, not just me, not just a few worship leaders, not just a person who has an unusual anointing for healing or whatever gifts, but that we have teams of people Related to that, I call it the democratizing of the anointing. Big word for the day. What's it mean to democratize church? That's right, to dispense it, to disperse it, to share it. And so rather than the anointed prophetic person or the anointed worship leader or the anointed you fill in the blank, how about a whole church that walks in the anointing of the Holy Spirit together, sharing it as a team, as an army. And this happens through the church, the saints being equipped, Ephesians 4.12. What do we say here a vineyard value is about everyone? You tell me. What is it? Everyone gets to play. Everyone plays. And that's a biblical principle, isn't it? It's not just one or two or three people, the whole church is gifted and anointed to participate, to play in kingdom ministry. Then another thing, I think all of these things safeguard us, but a last thing is that all saints, as a local church, we're going to be committed to raising up young emerging leaders. And we are committed to seeing disciples made and matured from the youngest to the oldest, but I think there is something that the Lord calls the church to Raising up young leaders, and that safeguards us against kind of a celebrity culture or the one mighty gifted person. If we're raising up scores of young men and women who are called and gifted, then there's a balance. And so that's what we're committed to. I want to end with this before we take communion. God is holy, God cleans house. How do we respond to this? I'm just going to give us a few passages. God wants us to respond in love, fear, and repentance. Look at Ephesians 3.17. I'm going to look at these quickly here, but Ephesians 3.17. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's praying and declaring this reality here. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Saints, in view of what we've been talking about, did you know that we are rooted and grounded in love? Christ is in us, he dwells in us through the Spirit, the Father loves us, and as much as we are willing to meditate on that reality and live into it, we are rooted and grounded in love. Everything that God does in our lives is based on His love for us. The Apostle John says that God's perfect love casts out something. What is it? 1 John 4. Fear. So God's perfect love in Christ through the Holy Spirit that's poured out on us, drives out fear. And that's unhealthy fear, isn't it? Because the scriptures teach us. Look at Luke 1, 49 to 50. Look at this. This This was a discovery this week that I made. The love of the Father, which we're rooted and grounded in, it drives out unhealthy fear from us. But at the same time, the Scriptures are clear that we live in the fear of the Lord, don't we? And that it's pure and holy and life-giving. This is beautiful here. This is a song that Mary is singing after she finds out through her yes to the word of the angel that Christ the Lord is going to reside in her and she's going to bring the Messiah into the world. And she sings this song. Look at Luke 1, 49 through 50. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. So we see holiness there. Look at verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. This idea that to fear the Lord means you're scared of a mean dad. You're scared of a mean king. That is misleading. What does this text right here teach us? What comes into the life of those who fear the Lord? Mercy. Do you want mercy today? Then grow in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 25, 14 says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Proverbs 19, 23 says that the fear of the Lord is life. Indeed, Friend, there, friends, there's something that we need to grow in in the fear, the reverential awe of who God is in light of His holiness and majesty as we're rooted and grounded in His love. Why don't we stand? And in light of these things that we're seeing in the Scriptures here, We're secure in our identity in Christ, increasingly so. We receive the mercy of God, but we grow in fear, healthy, holy, biblical fear of the Lord. Do you want to grow in that? I certainly do. It's the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? But it leads us to repentance. And so I want to invite us as a church today, to grow in these things and to grow in repentance. And we talk about it here. That is a good word in the Scripture. It's a good word here at All Saints, repentance means turning to God, turning to God from whatever is encumbering you, whatever is weighing you down, whatever is keeping you from Him. So repentance is turning to Him. And so I want to invite us, as we move into ministry time, to turn to the Lord, to repent, to turn from the things that are distracting or dragging you down. Maybe you have some secret things in your heart today that you need to confess and bring into the light. You can do that with one another. You can do that with someone in prayer. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up